0: You are listening to High Shelf Gaming. This is a show where we talk about board games and role-playing games and gaming conventions. If this is what you're looking for, please keep listening. You can always find us on our website, Facebook group, Facebook page, or on Twitter and Twitch and Discord, all under the name High Shelf Gaming. Super easy to join the community, and we look forward to meeting you. Hey everyone, David here again with High Shelf Gaming, and as always... I am joined by the transpondent, Rich Wisniewski.
1: Man, how did you know that I was going to go into telling everybody about being a gatekeeper and transmit that out to the masses? Because I am transponding that I am the gatekeeper of D&D, and no one else can join D&D until I pass them through
0: my keep. Oh my God, what a dystopia. I am such a...
1: I am, uh, man, that was awesome <laughs> that you got me transponding to people.
0: I'll take it. I'll allow it. But, uh,. <laughs>
1: And you know what's really great is I know that's making Rob nuts.
0: Yes. (laughs) Rob, welcome back. (laughs) Yeah, I'm here. It's me.
2: I am back. No, what's making me nuts is like the reverb on your bike. He's just so into it. Yes. Yes. Yes.
0: Oh, man. Okay. So this episode, we are back talking about role-playing storytelling gatekeeping not gatekeeping this one's not about gatekeeping this one is about themes and structure and wherever else that takes us right yeah this is this is where we get into the like weird nebulous side of like putting your game together that a lot of people just kind of start working on it and they don't maybe think about these topics but uh remember be mindful Right. Exactly. This is to me like maybe one of the last things that we really need to get out into the world before we take the next step in this adventure of Mm -hmm. taking these principles and applying them to game reviews. And
2: I mean, if you actually want to do a practicum, I guess I could exist in theory forever. Yes,
0: (laughs) 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 exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I'll always like to start off, Rob, with you defining some terms for us. Oh, boy
2: gatekeeping yes if you don't (laughs) subscribe to my terms then you're incorrect thank you dave um Hold on, did something happen recently where you're just like super hateful at gatekeepers? Like what I need I need some Rich,
0: backstory. Rich, Rich Rich has been diving into like the Facebook groups for <laughs> D D and he's real he's come to understand that, <laughs> that there are um some groups that are healthier than others, is how I
1: say it. <laughs> I like call Dave every night and go, Dude, dude, you won't believe I joined this group called Blank playing Plang. <laughs> And these people are totally gatekeeping, bro. I don't even think I understood what gatekeeping was. And then I tell them the story about what they say. And then I tell them what I would comment. But I don't comment.
2: I just tell them what my comments would be. And then I hang up. I I often do that with Cassie where I'm like, hey, Cassie, did you know? Oh, no, I'm not going to say that because that could have been
0: rude. See
2: what I was going to say and then say the thing. But I didn't say it.
0: Yeah, yeah, the uh, the the always present, honey. I found somebody wrong on the internet. <laughs> Let me tell you what I was gonna say, but I didn't want to get into it. So, <laughs> so yeah. someone still has to hear it, and it's always either me for rich or my wife for me or your your girlfriend for you, Rob. All right. So- oh my God, I need
1: to get a girlfriend. <laughs>
0: But then she, uh, I mean, unless she's in the scene, Rich, you'd have to, like, go through all this stuff about, like, how D&D started as this type of game, and now it's, like, evolved, and 15 minutes later, you get to make your point.
1: And it's getting so bad, Dave, we're ending our conversations like an old married couple. <laughs> it's like, it'll be like, I'm done, I'm like, okay, love you, and he goes, love you, bye. <laughs> <laughs> but it's
0: not, like, not genuine, like, I do love you, so.
1: I love you too, <laughs>
2: Okay, all right. <clears throat> so, structure and theme. Yes. Those are, the, those are the two things that I wanted to try to hit on this time. Theme is easier. I recently took a, su- a long term sub job and I'm teaching 10th graders. So, as.
1: Oh, God bless you.
2: Ooh. Let's all go back to high school and let's talk about theme. Theme is connected to conflict, which we've talked before. Right. But, theme is the idea of your game, the main idea. What is your game attempting to say? And I'm willing to bet that most people literally don't even consider this when they start playing or make a plot or anything like that. Yeah, they're
0: like, wait, 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 hold on a second. I don't, my game has a wizard in it, and the wizard is bad, so uh...
2: (laughs) So then they jumped immediately to conflict, right? Right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
2: (laughs) So like... Theme is this weird thing because you're playing with other people and you're planking a collaborative story that it's going to be very difficult to sit down and actually say this is my theme because the way theme and conflict normally interact is you say, all right, this is th- the theme is X. I want to tell a story about this idea and right. then I'm going to explore this idea through various conflicts. So the conflicts are a vessel for the exploration of that theme. Right. Whereas RPGs are normally the opposite where it's like, I really want them to fight a big ass ogre. How do I do that?
1: (laughs) And then you might want to work. Yeah. That's, that's more what I do. I'm sitting here trying to put a theme to my last game, but keep going. But,
2: But then if you can work backwards and be like, okay, what are some thematic elements and what I'm, what will be very difficult, something I've never been able to do is like sit down and like literally prescribe a theme. But once you start to see themes happening in your game, And you're aware of them. You're mindful of them. You can start to twist some stuff around and it'll
0: feel more cohesive. See, see, to me, like, okay, there's a theme out there that everyone will know as soon as I say it. Zany. Yeah. The zany role playing game where like anything can happen and there's anvils falling from the sky. Like we talked about this in the metagaming episode where it's like, look, you're going to be building expectations into your game. Mm -hmm. Right. And your game may probably doesn't allow anvils to fall from the sky through a building and onto the characters. And and that's because the theme of the game doesn't allow for that. Mm-hmm. But if you are in a game that is zany, then maybe that does happen.
2: I would disagree in a very specific way about your thing, your theme of Xanians call that tone, which is different. Yeah. So like, for, for example, let me give you an idea of what happened in my uh, Call of Cthulhu game. I never, I did not set out to create a theme. I just had the conflicts and all of that, the, the basic plot. But then as we played, it became true that one of the main antagonists was antagonizing the players by watching them through mirrors with a spell. So whenever they saw their own reflection, they started to become, like, worried that they were being spied on. And then this idea of, like, seeing yourself is a sense of worry. I then was able to adapt that into other scenarios where it's like, I had a character who's a bad guy put on glasses. And then as he put on his glasses, I remarked how like, and now you see yourself in the reflection of his glasses and just like, just like, Oh, this is, this is bad. This is weird. Cause that's a normal thing, right? Like glasses reflect, right? but the theme of like self introspection and, uneasiness through that. Like, what does it mean to be aware of yourself through Mm. the mirror and the bad guys are watching you that was able to go through, like they went to a Lake and they're like, okay, I don't want to look at this Lake too much because they could be watching us. And then eventually they started to getting into other things. Like, are they somehow aware of my own mind. Cause it's called Cthulhu. So like weird shit happens. Sure. Yeah. But, but that's what I mean is like, okay, as I accidentally did a, did a couple things through my settings, I was able to see that those happened and then I could do more on purpose later. Uh,
0: yes. Okay. Okay. I, I totally agree that themes can emerge out of your game for sure. And you might think my game is about this, but as the players interact, well, they really gravitate to different themes. Like, interpersonal relationship conflicts and all that kind of stuff and it's really about i, I don't know their their ability to relate in meaningful ways to one mm. another or like a prejudice like fantasy racism is like yeah a fucking trope at this point for sure but prejudice is absolutely a theme that you could that is in some games and and is baked into like the original settings of D D, bake in a lot of you know, elf versus dwarf versus human prejudice. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
2: In one of my Pathfinder games, I had a character, I had a player who's playing a character who eventually adopted this kid, essentially, because he was starting up this little ragtag group of Like little fighters, and he was really impressed by the child soldiers. Got it, yeah. Child soldier, and he was really impressed by one of them, and then kind of took him under his wing, and it turned into fatherhood. So then that allowed me to use other characters to display other aspects of fatherhood. And then he, that player specifically, his character ended up just righteously hating an enemy an antagonist that I had created who was a bad father because of what he had done. Right. Oh. Because he wasn't, he, he didn't think of himself as a dad, but it was definitely a fatherhood figure.
0: Neat. So the theme of parenting and mentorship came up. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, okay, well this now gives me a vehicle to introduce a conflict that rides on that theme of you are a good parent in this game. Let me make a bad guy. Who's a bad parent in this yeah. game that Literally. you now hate because of this thing. Not Maybe they didn't do anything to you, but you hate them for this aspect of themselves.
2: Literally made a foil based on the character. Absolutely. Neat.
1: Okay, so I've got a question. And it kind of relates, because I was... Well, it has to relate. We're in this podcast. Um, I was... Um, or I
0: cut you out. I don't know. <laughs>
1: or, or you just edit this part. Edit. Start, edit. You know, Jack, the guy who does all the editing, I just yell, start, edit. He takes care of business. But anyways... I was looking through some of my books, and I've got the AD&D with Cthulhu characters in the Monster
0: Ooh, Manual, right? you've got the, like, the one.
1: Yes, and, and there's a lot of the first editions, right? But, uh, but I was sitting there going, you know what? Wouldn't it be fun to have a D&D game with Cthulhu in it? Because you've kind of got me doing this Cthulhu kick, right? Good. And so as you're talking about themes, I go, huh, how would the theme be, would a theme be they need to save the world from the madness, from being overtaken by these evil things. Is that the theme or is that... Th- that's the goal. Okay, that's the goal. So how do they accomplish could it? Be th- how do they accomplish I, I it? I think, that's the that's, well,
0: I think insanity and madness are themes. or the themes. Yeah, th- like, those are if, themes, yeah, absolutely.
2: Because it's really easy to get confused on theme. It really is. Yes. like
1: Hence why, yeah, I want to dive through that. Like if I was making this game... My theme is to say, my, not my theme, the condition is there, what was it? I'm sorry, it wasn't the condition. I said goal. The goal is to save the world from dropping into madness or, or dropping into this chaos yep. from these evil creatures coming out and taking over, right? Yep. And then you, Dave, you timed in with the theme would be maybe insanity and
0: madness. Or dread of impending doom.
2: I would, I would call those thematic elements because they themselves are not quite a
0: theme. Yeah. The way, the, the way,
2: the way I want you to think about theme is I want you to literally say, what does it mean to like literally start it like that? Right. So in yours, it's like, what does it mean to stop the world from madness in a world where madness exists? Right. That would be the theme. Right? Because now we need to figure out how we explore and do that. You're going to put the goal into it. Because if I just say madness, right? That would be part right. of the theme. <laughs> So literally, <laughs> literally start it with, what does it mean to? Because that is what theme is. It is the exploration of an idea. Yeah. So if you're like, I want them to save the world from madness, and then let's add in another thing, right? Like, I want to save the, uh, have them save the world from madness from an evil cult who has taken over a village, right? Mm-hmm. Sounds great. Right. Yes. What does it mean to save the world from madness when society has bought into the end of the world how do we explore that idea oh
0: yeah right? okay so that
2: literally just by saying that i'm like oh great okay so they have a hierarchy they have like government yep. officials who are in on this right yep they're going to censure the players in ways that they like they literally have to fight the system which now we're into player versus society right
1: and, and now, and by the way, now I've got tons of great movies as reference. Right. Yep. As to how those things have been overcome by people that, um, you know, like the Illuminati. They've had, they've yeah. had their, their people in charge, right. and now these people are trying to fight through the charge. X Files, right. you know what I mean? Where we're starting to get into so many ways of how you get through
0: that and, theme. And, and I want to say that genre influences some of this stuff, too, because, oh, for sure. Because, like, in a cyberpunk game, the fighting society, fighting government officials, that theme exists, but it is colored by the genre of cyberpunk., yeah. whereas the uh, you know a gumshoe game where it's a you know 1950s like uh, detective game, they they have a different approach to that theme and that theme is a little bit different because that' is to fit into that setting and that genre.
2: That's perfect because that goes back to what we were saying before, where like every game exists for a specific thing, like what we want to try to accomplish it with. Yes. Because the ultimate base goal, like the very fundamental thing, is the theme. What is the idea that we're exploring? And if we explore the theme of what does it mean to fight against a corrupt society, that is very different if we set it into madness or set it in cyberpunk. It's still the same idea. What does it mean? to fight against corrupt society but how we set it changes the way we explore that idea.
0: Yeah, so like in in our cyberpunk game, I I am exploring what does it mean to survive in a in a near post-apocalyptic cyberpunk world as a tribal, as someone who lives outside of the city is yeah. a nomad. You know, what does it mean to to live that life? And so the characters and all the things they run into fit into that that mindset. None of them are, you know, I'm not suddenly going to have a game where they're all in a high rise someplace dealing with office politics because yeah. that has nothing to do with the theme of nomad survival in uh, cyberpunk. And that's
2: why theme is a really weird thing when it comes to RPGs, because it exists. It must because of setting and conflict, right. but it's not really often uh, specifically expressed right. because it's more of a writing technique. It's just one of those things where, like if you become aware of it and can use it if you're mindful of it your game will feel more cohesive at, like as bookends
0: i think that that's what can happen though is because when people aren't thinking about it and they've been playing the game for say five six sessions somewhere in there they start to introduce new elements yeah and if those new elements don't go in with the themes that they are un they're unaware of the themes that are in their own game Mm -hmm. and then they introduce elements that are antithetical to those, all of a sudden it feels like, I don't know, something weird about the game happened...
1: Yeah, we're just opening doors and we're just killing. Dude, kids. I had We've lost yeah. the the theme. Yeah. Absolutely,
2: I had a game where like I was writing myself into a corner, so I just had them go into the uh, a tower that like transported them twenty years into the future, and the game died the session after that because I'm like I don't know what to do anymore right. because like a a focus of what is to do like didn't exist anymore.
0: Right, and, right, and I think that's really interesting. Like I think a lot of games that mysteriously stop. It's really because they've lost the theme. They've 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 diverted from it. The the shape of the path is no longer clear.
2: Now, that said, that actually gives me an excellent segue into structure because theme can change. But. The previous theme should be concluded somehow. There should be some form of closure. We should be we should be as a table ready to move on to the next thing.
0: Right. Yeah. So like if I go back to my cyberpunk game as an example, one of the stated goals of some of the players is to form a powerful structure. Right. Yeah. And so at some point, surviving as a tribe will stop being the theme and it will become how does a thriving tribe assert its influence on the world? Yeah. Right. Right now they have zero influence. They're they're like shitbirds, you know, but, okay, but, but and, as and do we
1: all agree? That's a theme that next idea of how does a thriving tribe exert their influence on the world? Robert, do you like that statement as a theme? Uh, I don't love it, but I don't think it's wrong. Okay.
0: Yeah. I'm just spitballing here, folks. (laughs) That's exactly what we're all doing.
1: I'm trying to pick a little out of his brain because I see where you're going now because that's very overarching, right? Right. Right. I, for how do I blank? How do I, win conflict Right. That's
2: that's what I would add is like, how how do oh, I oh, as as yeah, a yeah. tribe survive when conflict?
0: Right. And I shouldn't I should have included when there are competing uh, forces in the world or something along those lines.
2: Right. Genres lend themselves to certain themes, as you said before, because one of my favorite themes is literally baked into Call of Cthulhu, my, one of my favorite games, which right. is. What does it mean to exist in a cold and uncaring universe when learning the truth literally damages you? Mm. What what does that look like? Right, and then that's basically everything in Call of Cthulhu. Wow. Right, and if
0: we go, if we go to D- Dungeons and Dragons, like the straight up, what does it mean to be a hero in a yeah. world of of incredibly powerful villains, or what does it mean to uncover dark secrets? Yeah, in a world that's not ready for them to be uncovered. You know, Mm -hmm. how how does one be a hero in this, you know, in this place? Those sorts of themes are rife in that game. And a lot of people love that game for that. I want to be a hero. Yeah. And so I want to explore what it means to be a hero when... XYZ is happening
2: I'm really glad we're doing this specifically because like I know what theme is in writing you know I know I know how to create it in something more static yeah but like in a game because we start with conflict it's like let's say I want my players to go into a tower and fight an evil wizard but they have a wizard and then I'll be like, okay so what does it mean to usurp a wizard who's using the same magic that you are like now. Great. We've literally just entered in uh, an identity crisis
0: for the party with for the uh, party wizard. Neat. Neat. Yeah. If the player is into that, right? Because some players yeah. like, fuck it, I just want to kill the guy.
2: Yeah, whatever. And then that just happens. <laughs> but like it <laughs> exists. and You know,
1: sometimes as a GM, things are just for you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Always for me.
1: And, you know, it's funny. I'm going to kind of before we move off topic, something that. I do lots of modules, right? Yeah, I yeah. read lots of modules. Yeah. I, I like modules. And now that we're talking about this, uh, for for my con games, I have been removing theme for years. Really? Because I will go through a module, and now that we're talking about this, it's all starting to go, uh I'm having a moment where... I will cut out tons of NPCs. I will cut out tons of those elements that are all there to support the theme. Oh, well, okay. But you have, because in four hours, right. yeah, I'm putting together sure. a chamber of Horrors, right. not necessarily creating something that has to last six months. Right. Yes. And, and if you're listening and you're like a new GM or even an old GM and you're wanting that idea, that is maybe where, even though you may not want to be a module GM, that might be a great reason to get into reading modules is to see the way they link Ah, all the time through the module to keep you and your players on theme and not
0: lose interest. And, And I want to say rich that you do have themes in your game, but your themes are often a little bit more meta because you have, we've talked about it before. You have this, a very fun take on the players versus GM trope. Where really you're also on their side, but you you ape that you're not on their side, <laughs> you know. Yes. And, you're so, heel. and so it's yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're the heel. So it is. You know what does it mean to play in a classic D and D game? Where
1: oh my god, on my own theme. Yes. Holy shit! I don't yes. know if I can walk out of this room. My head's so
0: big. <laughs> like that is what does it mean to play in a game when rich is the game master like (laughs) where 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 you are against the gm but you're not really you know like like it's it's more fun it's not it's not this toxic approach but like that is a thing where i think that i think that all games kind of have a theme it's not super defined and you may only realize it at the end but there is some kind of theme kind of gluing this all together and
2: it's not necessarily always super important it's just it'll it'll make the game feel better yeah. if you can recognize <laughs> it
0: yeah guys just okay so the last several minutes you listened to not super important
1: <laughs> no not at
0: all. <laughs>
2: If you want a cohesive game, then, uh, it is. yeah, 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 yeah. But now
1: that makes sense. And I like, and I don't know if you guys agree with that. If you are a, you know, cause a lot of these modules are written by writers, right? Yeah. And they know all this stuff Rob's doing. I don't know this stuff Rob's doing, but they know know this stuff stuff and they're writing it in and they're baking it for you. They're making you a cake to where if you don't want to run modules, great, run your own worlds, but man, what great source material to see how the writers do it.
2: Yeah. I ran a one shot once where my players in D&D, Pathfinder or whatever, were just like in the blistering cold and they had to roll a constitution check every time they went outside and it was, oh my and God. It was dead it, of winter. It yes. was super bad. And I had like a dire dire wolf. Like it was just this massive thing and like described like the frost, the icicles that would like create in the air when it breathed out and it was like what what does it mean to fight the cold when you have nothing left? Because, like, they, the Cavalier killed his own horse to put his hands in the blood so he didn't get frostbite. What? What? Yeah. And so they're, like, creating that sense of, like, complete
0: nothingness. Yeah. Desolation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Desolation. How far will you go to survive?
1: Yeah, you killed. He killed it. You killed his horse. He killed his horse. I
2: put him in a situation where he seemed like it was the the best thing to do is to kill his own horse. Yes, yes,
1: and, and that, he got like Luke Skywalker
2: in that shit. See,
1: got I, all up and in the The, NBC, the
2: NPCs were important in that because they're the ones who are just like like little little Susie is like Cavalier Mister. I'm hungry. <laughs>
0: well, and and okay, I want to put a kind of a, a a button on all of this is that the theme is the vehicle by which you can give your players decision-making power. Yeah. Because, because you were basically putting the theme in there of, okay, what are you willing to do to survive? Yeah, because the the other option is you just die. And that is always an option. (laughs) That is always an option. You know,
1: (laughs) like that's I'm just going to play for my death.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, see, that's absolutely right, because the theme is the vehicle by which you give your players decision making power because the theme is the vehicle by which you interact with the conflict. Right. And if your players are not interacting with the conflict, then the table has fundamentally and foundationally failed.
0: Mm. yeah and now your new conflict is how do i get them onto a conflict
2: (laughs) yeah okay so okay i fire my friends and i make new
0: ones (laughs) so so let's talk about a little bit of structure because i feel like structure is is the way you introduce things and the way you build out all of this so that you can have themes come in and out so that you can have conflicts resolve or go unresolved or what have you
2: man structure oh man i got a lot and i'm interested in what you guys are talking about because you you wanted to do like a very meta thing of like how do you actually make your um your con games like how do you structure that as a table whereas my thing is like how do i structure this particular session how do i structure this scene how do i structure this combat how do i structure this attack like i can i'm happy like talking a very specific plot structure yeah in using the same model in different levels.
0: So I'm all about here is my model and I can scale it up or scale it down for the yep. thing I'm into. I love that. Um, so let's definitely talk about the model and how some examples there. But I do want to give people some I am making a game for a con. Here's yeah. how I can structure that. I want to make an epic campaign. Yeah. How can I structure that? Um, so I have some things for those uh, rich. I think you do too. Cause you've made so many modules. Yes. Yeah. I
1: will definitely have some so comments cause I love clarifying this through because I, I feel like I'm, I, I've of course I feel like everybody's like me. Right. Yeah. So when I say things, I look for how do I get your explanation out of you right. the way I understand. It's, it's okay. You're just calling me mind blind.
0: That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so okay, let, let's uh, let, let's put some let's put some more definition or some more clarity on what structure is. Happily, yeah.
2: So I'm I'm teaching this right now in English, and I love it. And awesome. It's a thing that it's a thing that everyone oh my should. My God, be aware you're of. doing
1: tenth grade English and twelfth. Ah, oh. okay. Well, at least at twelfth, you could really end up with some fun kids in there. It's true. In tenth grade, their hormones are going so hard; they, they, I can't even imagine they pay any attention. Actually, my tenth graders,
2: some of them, I, I'm in a weird weird area. It's pretty okay. okay. So structure everybody's going to remember this at least they should exposition rising action climax falling action resolution so it's it's that idea of like I start at a point and I keep going. That's the exposition. This is the setting. This is explaining where we are and why. Rising action. That the immediate point at which we go from a flat line to a rising point, that that, like jag, that is the conflict, the introduction of conflict. Right. Then we go up through rising action. Things are becoming more tense. There's more suspense until all of a sudden there's a climax. Now, when I say climax, the reason why that's so important (laughs) is because... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is the point. That is the point where something has happened and we can never go back. Right. If yours, if your story, if whatever just happened, like you could like, you know, walk back on that, or you know, if you can backpedal on that a little bit, then you didn't you didn't rise enough.
1: Nothing right. can can be the same. Right. The world has changed. Right. Okay, I got an example. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Last going last con game I did they're in this set of hallways, right? And I know what needs to happen at the end of this set of hallways is they got to get to this one room, right? And there's one room. They, they start in the hallway. Things start to get tense. There's a trap. All of a sudden they go in a room. Oh, there's a monster. Oh, they go in another room. There's a mold. Oh, they go in another room. Oh, they're taking damage. And then they get to the hallway. They get to this last room. There's the key to go to the next place. And it literally was a physical key, right? Sure. That, to me, was what I just did because now they' got the key, they can move on to the next piece. I don't you know there's no I guess they could go backwards, but there's no going back. they've done what they needed to do in that area, and they're ready to move on to the next stage what? of the game Am I taking this right? What happened right before they got the key oh it was a it was a joke trap room that the key was part of, <laughs> and i I know it was it but it was. <laughs> conflict with the the, the, people yeah and the the joke thing was is as they went to go touch this thing everybody got uh, hit with a spell of laughing that were touching it but only three people could ever be affected at one time so as the fourth person's touching it they could get it but by god they held off having the third person touch because two people are giggling their asses off and they're wondering what's going on so that was kind of getting them to where they
2: got to the fourth then, person. Yes, I agree. That it. would be your climax. Yours yes. is a little bit weird, weird because it's yeah, actually a, uh, it's playing against what a climax typically is, but that is definitely the
0: climax. It was the anti-climax.
2: A- after the climax is the, re- is the falling action, right. which is now that the world has changed, we're now settling into our new world. Bingo. And, and then there is the resolution, which is now that we have settled into our new world, what is our new setting? Now, if you think of the height of this, I know that we're on a podcast, so it's hard to see, but if you imagine that like on a graph, the exposition, the very beginning portion, the setting and all of that begins at a zero and the climax uh, hits a 10, the resolution should be higher than zero and less than 10, right. meaning, meaning the world has now changed and is now fundamentally
1: more suspenseful. It's not going to go all the way back to zero right? because the world has changed. Ooh, I bet that's a hard thing for a lot of people to keep going because it's real easy to go back down.
2: It is now. Now, this idea, right? This this plot structure. I have two things to say on it really quick. The first is you can increase it into such a huge scale for like this is how the arc of my entire campaign versus this season versus this session versus this next hour versus literally this turn in combat. Like the whole thing works for everything. It's not a thing that exists in a vacuum, right? This one plot structure, because the resolution of one action, because it has increased the overall suspense, because remember, the ending resolution is higher. The suspense is higher than the beginning exposition. Yep. The ending resolution is the next exposition.
0: Right. Right. So it's just another structure following it. Right. This I think this is unique to Perpetual Games, yeah. where at the end of the session or at the end of that chapter or at the end of whatever story unit that is, that informs the next one, and basically all of Unit 1 is exposition for Unit 2. Yeah. Players and, and, and GMs and everybody who's sitting at the table, this is a thing that just happens. And so if you fight it you're really kind of going against what we're all here for. Like things should yeah. get more intense. Yes. Things
1: should get if people want that. right? Yeah.
0: yeah. If, if you're, if you're a player at a game and you have the reluctant character, that could be fun. So long as that reluctant character has a building of attention. And then there's some sort of climactic event where then that character is changed and maybe they're less reluctant in some way. Mm-hmm. But like, I find the reluctant character a lot of times is actually pushing, actively pushing against all of these things that are integral to the structure of a story where we want to get to rising action. And if the reluctant character is actively fighting any approach to makes the game more suspenseful or more whatever, they're really fighting like a law of nature. The, the, the rising
2: action, if the rising action plateaus from a character, that's like watching Goku in filler episodes, do nothing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, you're absolutely, it becomes a filler session where it's like, and that happens, folks, it happens. If you have a session. Walking Dead. Yeah, if you have a session where kind of nothing happened, that's probably because something stalled on the structure side. And sometimes you have to deal with that, right? Because someone has made a decision in the game that stalls a bunch of other things. Our Expanse game. Yeah, it can happen, and that is fine, but you need to be aware that, okay, what has really happened here is that our structure has stalled.
2: The The other thing, because I want to get back and say another thing, but what I like about what you're saying about this is when the reluctant player, for players, you need, you must, please, meta, be aware of your position in the game, because if you fight the rising action and never allow your character to actually perform whatever climax is happening in their story. It will always feel weak and it will never be as good as it could
0: be. Right. Right. And and I think we're, I, I kind of threw this player out there cause it's a very easy um uh sandbag to punch on. Yeah. Right. Cause it's, it's one of those things that like, if you've played enough games, you will always find somewhere somehow a player that, or the character that just won't do this thing yeah you know and that's that's different than the asshole player or character that's like well that's what my character would do it's like no 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 this is different this is different <laughs> do Th- go down yeah, that rabbit hole but, again. but that is different than this problem of well my character is is deathly afraid of this thing so they're never going to get into the water it's like look i get then that your character is boring well i get that they have <laughs> this fear how about we all have fun exploring them getting over that fear addressing that fear going through the terror because they have to do this thing in the water that is interesting
2: how does one save the world when water is (laughs) involved and they are deathly afraid of water and what does water
1: mean
0: exactly yes perfect yes tying it all back to theme yeah so i think that that's like part of this is you have to kind of understand those things for sure. I wanted,
2: before we get too far, I wanted to give an example of my structure for like an encounter. Oh, yeah. Um, and the idea would be that the expo- the resolution is now the exposition of another thing, right? So it'd be like um, exposition, right? Which is setting. You're at the base of a hill and you look up and you see that there is a goblin. Rising action. The goblin is raising his horn to his lips, presumably to call for others. Mm-hmm climax you and the goblin have a short uh have a short fight and you have killed him falling action laying him on the grass at the top of the hill exposition you look up and see a camp of goblins as far as the eye can see now that ending exposition is much more tense than the beginning uh, exposition right but we got through that climax. The world can't go back. I can't not kill that goblin.
0: You now. can't not see the camp and the camp is looking at you right now.
2: Exactly. And now how you deal with that camp goes into the next rising action, climax, falling right. action in, ex- in resolution.
0: Yeah, I love that. See, I think that I think if, if players and, and GMs are thinking in these terms, it's like, OK, um, there's a lot of little little climaxes a lot of little things that go to yep. building for something greater and if we get off the train
2: god this is exactly why combat sucks in D because it's just like all right now i roll and i attack and you miss because the falling action the rising action doesn't go anywhere i attack him i roll you miss i attack him i roll i miss like this like it just doesn't do anything <laughs>
1: Yes, it can get monotonous. Right. Monotonous. Oh,
0: yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Okay.
1: Monotonous. So so yeah, so one.
0: what we need to do, when we go to, to use this to break down games, we need to be talking about how the combat system enhances structure or stalls structure. Because yeah, and- we've been blaming players and GMs for some of these things. But it's important to remember that the system itself can help or hinder these same topics. Absolutely. Mm-hmm yeah okay so i have a a i i always called it a structure but maybe it's not a structure i have a system a formula a formula that i use to make epic games and it really yeah. doesn't work for small games it only works for epic games i called it a structure after having this discussion i don't know that it's a structure
1: <laughs> at least not by my oh, I'm terms i'm not too sure what i know after this discussion <laughs> yeah.
0: um so so if you i'm
2: such a gatekeeper <laughs>
0: Um, so uh if you are trying to if you're going to be putting a game together and you want it to be a really long epic game this is kind of my approach and i learned this from a lot of white wolf i played a lot of white wolf in high school and i also learned it from a lot of anime uh Yeah. So okay. so so I'm starting off on the worst foot. This is the exposition and we're going to get rising action. There's going to be a climax here in a second. So <laughs> uh, <laughs>
2: um,
0: so I learned this by 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 hentai. But, dude, no. <laughs> not, not where I'm going with this at all. Um, okay. What I start with is this world that my players are going to be stepping into has a secret. There's some something that's fundamentally interesting and unique and beautiful about this world that doesn't exist in our world, doesn't exist in any other game that I played in or that there's some sort of kernel of 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 awesomeness somewhere in this world. Like yep. uh, D&D, it's magic, right? Magic exists. And that's so different than our world, and that is the the kernel of things. And you can spend a lifetime understanding the secrets of magic, and then you get this cool thing, right? So, it, uh, just as an anime example, Full Metal Alchemist had red mist. Neon Genesis had the uh, the AT field, the absolute terror field that kept everybody from just being goo together. What
1: did Cowboy Bebop have?
0: Uh, Cowboy Bebop had jazz. jazz yes, <laughs> thank you. But either way, there's some sort of like. For an epic game, I, I plant some sort of epic truth to the world that shapes the world and all that kind of stuff. And from that, I figure out how the world kind of works, who has knowledge of this powerful thing, who has mastery of it, that kind of thing. And, and that influences a lot of things. And I build out power structures and all those things from there. And then I get into, well, at the neighborhood level, how does this great secret enter into the game as an example I've got a a game where the prince of a vampire game was was hidden away, and that was the great secret. Where is the prince? So, you know, what's going on mm-hmm. with this? But at the street level, all of the players that were vampires were being influenced by the prince and competing factions, and they didn't really know about it at first because yeah. they hadn't figured out the big, huge, super secret of their world. Um, and the game is the... After I've built all these things out with the power structures and all that kind of stuff, and I get get some sense of how it is on the street level, the game is them maybe accidentally poking against this secret, poking against this great power, and then becoming aware of it, and then Mm -hmm. deciding if they want to engage with it or if they want to reject it, if they want to do something greater with it, that kind of thing. And then they have the option of destroy it, work with it, try and master it, and try and become its master. And that that is really the climax of my games. Because cool. they have decided that they are going to kill the prince that they have discovered. Or no, they have him, they know where he's hiding, and they're going to use that as leverage to control the prince. Mm-hmm. Or the prince is so powerful they want to work with the prince. So that becomes the climax of the game, and then it's like, okay, chapter one, done. Now... Chapter oh, 2 <laughs> is built on this, right? And so um, yeah. and so like one of the games... So then
2: Chapter 1 is exposition. Yeah. Is
0: now rising action. Well, you just told me that, hey, as soon as one thing is done, that climax is now exposition for Second, uh, second Rise, right? Yep. So exactly like that is uh, maybe not chapter one book one volume one (laughs) trilogy number one is done Uh, once they've gotten to the (laughs) once they've gotten to the thing time time unit one yes yes whatever it is is now done because they've gotten to the secret and they've decided what to do with it
2: i love it because you're you're describing textual analysis and you don't know it oh
0: oh all right structure themes and textual analysis (laughs)
2: Sentence one, what the fuck
0: are we talking about? Right,
2: right. Sentence two, describe what we're talking about. Right, yeah, exactly. I love this. So,
0: no, this is okay. So, this is my whenever I do this, I always get an epic game because the players will spend so much time coming to understand the great power in their game and then deciding how they feel about the great power in their game and then doing something about the great power in their game.
2: we, we make games very differently, which I find interesting. That's cool. Okay, how do you do it? First of all, I don't make epic, epic games. They've never worked out for me, probably because I don't have such a well-constructed like constructed idea on how to even approach them. I, I do a lot of modules and already written campaigns, and I twist them to make them my own. Um, but the best that I can describe it is I, I prep scenes and not plots. What I mean by that is like I often have a, a very basic idea idea on who the BBEG is or like what whatever like the problem is, but then I'm like, oh man, would it be like super cool if the good guys confronted him on like a bridge in the middle of a of a rainstorm in like in a canyon? How do I make that? Happen?
0: <laughs> <laughs> you- <laughs> they find the bridge, but it's clear day, so like. I have to stall them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I
0: know the forecast. I can't change it.
2: <laughs> so it's stuff like that. And um that, that comes in with like knowing where you want to get. Yeah. Because the way IGM is it know is a lot of like, I know where I want to end and I don't know how I'm gonna get there. Right. And and how I want to get there can be any number of ways, but as you like internalize, like literary techniques making scenes on the fly with good structure and plot structure and all of that just kind of happen uh and then you'll be able to get to these scenes that you realize will help your overall plot structure so the way i think of it is like instead of thinking of the plot structure as like a strict line right think of it more as like a dot graph in that impression of the plot structure And then those dots would be the scenes that I go for.
0: Hmm. Neat. So you, you, you know, uh, it's a connect the dots. You have, you have, you have all of the, you have all of the important scenes crystallized in your mind and you just don't know exactly how they're going to get from dot one to dot two, but you know that dot one to dot two is going to happen. Or maybe dot two can happen later, but it's not going to, it's not going to, you're not going to wait until after dot 10 to have that really cool scene happen. It needs to happen. And the scenes,
2: and the scenes aren't like super formalized. Right. It's like, all right, so I need to introduce the conflict. How I, how do I do that? It could happen in any number of ways, but I need to make sure I do that before climax. Because obviously. Right.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> I just had to throw that in. Yeah. <laughs> Did we break you? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just, it's amazing. You know, I look at it as what I always do is make a hook. Yep. And I'll look at, it's, it's similar Ex-mosition. to Dave. And it's you know I'll think of the last thing I actually wrote was like the uh, case of Garl Glittergold's Garl Glittergold's gold, <laughs> and it was this hook of this gold was stolen from this gnomish community that lived in a city, and of course because the cobalts hate garl you hate gnomes and garl Glittergold, uh, as the, one it was. It was it was stolen by cobalt. and of course that leads to a whole troop of that were then run by this evil wizard yes. who was a human. Rising and so action. then once I got this hook, I said, "Okay, how do I make this happen?" Right. So and it sounds very similar to Dave. It sounds a little different than Robert, but it's it's still in that idea of
0: coming up with something so, and then filling in my bits so along the way. I,
1: I w- and mine's very linear. I write very linear.
0: Right, and I wanna I wanna uh, say that. My approach with the big secret in the world doesn't actually, it doesn't care what the players do, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Oh, then I am. Just, then I it am it just doesn't care what
0: island. anybody does because it is, it is, it is all encompassing in this world and it is, and it is an oppressive force. So if the players don't interact oh, with yeah, it, like then they're going to become boxed in by it. If they do interact with it, then they have the power to do to have agency over this thing or decide what they want to do on it.
1: Yeah. Mine's a module. Yours is a world. I mean, literally, mine's a story for one thing. Right. I am
0: dangerously
1: co- close
2: to calling your world power the way you interpret theme. Really? Yeah, because it would be like, uh, what does it mean to exist in a world where actions are preordained mm. by people who are playing a game with me?
0: Mm hmm. Interesting. I like that. Interesting. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, maybe that is what I'm doing. I've, I've created a, a method that provides me the structure I need. And then that also gives me the vehicle by which I introduce a bunch of themes. Right. Yeah. And, the, and then the central conflicts, right. Cause all of the people who are involved in this thing and they have opinions about it. And all of these things uh, help support the central idea. Right. Right. Which is a theme. Right yeah, you did
2: it. <laughs> <laughs> neat. you won.
0: you won no. the internet, Dave. <laughs> Gold star. but I, th- I think that's I, uh, I like that I like that we all have very different ways of achieving the same goals. and mm-hmm. and I guess what I want what I want people have listened to this just now to kind of take away that, hey, we're talking about themes and structures and all these things, and we've given you three completely different approaches to enable, create, feed. These things and to drive your game forward as a player and as a as a GM.
2: Not that I want to like plug Call of Cthulhu as if it's the best role playing game ever. It's not my intention. But when I moved from D anD D to <laughs> Call of Cthulhu, I realized that I had like gone through a metamorphosis in how I understand how modules run. Yeah, because D anD D in its purest form as a dungeon crawl, which is relatively true, is a linear thing, right? Whereas in Call of Cthulhu, it's like here is a mystery. And uh, here, the GM has these ideas on how they're going to uncover it. There you go. Have at it.
1: Start exploring wherever you want. That's exactly how I felt playing your game. Yeah. When we got done and we chatted, we could have gone anywhere we wanted to, however we wanted. Right. Exactly. And then, and then the reason why that's
2: important, specifically in the discussion of like plot structure, is like if you guys like walk around, you know, investigating shit that is the rising action. Your knowledge should become bothersome because what you're learning is freaky. Mm -hmm. However, like as a GM, when you don't have a linear thing, like a dungeon, like when you, you don't have a literal linear progression of plot, then I in Call of Cthulhu, because it's so sandboxy, need to be able to feel when things should happen, when the rising action needs to occur. Right. And like how to pace getting to the climax.
0: Yeah, like in the game that we played with you, when was the right time for us to see the shadow? Exactly. Like stuff like that. Right. You don't want to do that in the first scene because that's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> spoken plainly (laughs) but yeah i think uh, i i i want to i guess the what i want to impart is that you know we have our approaches and you know folks out there that have been running games for a long time and you're thinking about running games our approaches are the ones that we've all come to after years and years of running games right yeah, everyone is going to come to this with their own kind of background and cultural understanding and what's true for them. And they're going to invariably interact with theme and structure in the way that is unique to them. Mm-hmm. And they might find some of what Rob said or what some of what I said or what Rich said useful to them as tools. But it's one tool in a giant toolbox that they are creating for themselves. Right. So as you're listening to this, don't think that we, the way we're doing this is the right way. It's just the way we do it. And the way you do it is the right way for you.
1: Yes. And I can tell you what I've been getting out of this is changing my thoughts on the next time I run a game. It is definitely. And I hope that's what happens to people as it maybe expands what they do, makes it more entertaining, figures out ways to add in these elements to actually enhance the play you know get away from it's just rolling and i want to say being mindful
0: yes exactly we're bringing up these topics to make you mindful and also guys we've had this whole like gm dm bias in this whole discussion as players your own characters are going through their own structures and themes and arcs, and you need to know what the themes of your character are I have a thing for that. Oh, okay.
2: I brought a thing because. Uh, the
1: Robert Coy theme player yeah. chart.
2: <laughs> if it's not this, it's wrong. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Rich last time asked me for like some of my materials. One of the things that I found that I had done that most people do do, but don't necessarily have it specifically formalized is a thing that I found on Reddit. Reddit called the knife theory. Did you ever hear about the knife theory? Yes.
0: No. Yes. Do it. Oh, oh, yeah. I love the knife theory.
2: So the knife theory basically says Matt that the knife. when you make a character, you should hand the GM knives with which to hurt your character. I'm going to link it and they'll probably put it in the show notes, but it is such things as like every named person your character cares about living or dead is a knife, right? The GM can interact with that somehow. Every obligation that your character has, every enemy that you start the game with is another knife. You want to give your GM tools to hurt your character so that we can see your character overcome these things through rising action. Right.
0: Yeah. And we kind of talked about that. We talked about that. I want to say in the first or second episode, talking about how characters need to suffer. Right. I mean, oh, yeah, that is that you are there to exist in this world and being challenged is part of it. And, and that is mm-hmm. often takes the form of suffering. Cool. I love the knives thing. That's something that like cyberpunk has with their whole life path system. That's something that call of Cthulhu has and world of darkness have with their flaws and merits and backgrounds and all that kind of stuff. Like they, they provide a lot of vehicle for that kind of stuff. D and D not so much, you know, like it doesn't build in knives by default, when you that's go true. through the character creation, uh, uh, straight Jane, eh, there's no knives at the end of that. I'm a perfectly capable adventurer with maybe no family, maybe no ties to anything. I just want to go out and kick butt.
1: And Oh, definitely in basic and Asian. Oh, sure. AD. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I am an island and I am perfect. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I think that that's fine if that's how you want to play the game. Absolutely. But wouldn't it be neat if your character had a little sister that they cared about deeply?
1: like that damn cyberpunk character we made. Oh my god, you have so many knives after that session. It's ridiculous.
0: Yes. Yes. Yes, yeah, your character? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I have I have tools for days on your character. <laughs>
1: Jeez. But he's like a sh- iron chef. He has so many knives.
0: <laughs> and here and here's the important thing, folks. The knife should be simple. Yes. Don't don't build out this whole huge arc and everything. You talked about it in the one of the episodes. Like your your player made this huge backstory, and you're like, wait, sh- shut up. We should be playing that game because
2: yeah. your backstory is full <laughs> of so much conflict, so
0: much interesting stuff. Why aren't why why, why aren't we playing that version? <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Instead of this dumb game, we should be playing that awesome game. And don't resolve everything in your background. Right. If your background has you as a completely free agent, well, then. I don't know. Like, wouldn't it be cooler if there was some unresolved stuff that your GM could pull on, but not so much detail that it's useless.
2: Yeah. I think it's entirely separate now. Um, if you have, if you're an entirely free agent, that often means that you have zero obligations, which is itself a knife. But that's hard to role play a person who is so completely detached from society. I mean, not even Walden could really do that.
0: Well, <laughs> but but then, folks, this is where you get into. Uh, without those attachments, do players go against one another because they're not really even attached to? companionship yeah. do they go on a murder hobo spree because they're there's nothing anchoring them as a person in this world they don't care about anything in the world
2: right and like but then but then if you have a I'm going to preface this. If you have a very good group with players you can trust who are ready for this sort of thing, you could then do something like, what does it mean for a person with no attachments be forced to become attached to something in the world?
0: And that is an interesting character. If you're going. If they that, actually do. It. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. But it, but if instead it's no, I just don't want a character that's being burdened by backstory. I just want to go out and kick butt. And by the way, I'm going to be kind of indiscriminate in how I do that. <laughs> then, And, you know, that's beer and pretzels, dish, yeah. dungeon delve and go play Descent. Right. And I, I want to say that my my long term goal of this and we've talked about a little bit is to take these concepts that we've been talking about and apply yeah. them to role playing games and say this game does a great job of supporting these types of themes. Yeah, and here's how this game uh, enables the structure and here's how this game could stall the structure be mindful Mm -hmm. of this GM you know like (laughs) (laughs) be aware of how the system can sometimes screw your own efforts at having a fun game (laughs) with things having armor classes (laughs) (laughs) I promise it won't be a a straight bashing on D&D though we all do play games other than D&D so there's going to be a lot of good context there primarily so (laughs) (laughs) negative yeah all right i feel like we've we've maybe not boiled this ocean but we've warmed it up
2: yeah i think my closing thought just because i wanted to be able to like really make sure that this is clear is that the plot structure that five part plot structure can uh you can do that in a single die roll and you should you can do that for like whole campaigns plot structure is so amazingly flexible you should use it for everything all the time forever agreed
1: and I think learning about it and understanding it better, even when you're playing a module, you'll recognize it. And you're able to amp those situations up more to where they're not just I'm reading a line, you know, just like Dr. Jekyll, You yeah. blah, blah, blah. Dr. Jekyll, you know, you're, you're, you're at the spot. You know, you need to be hitting your points as a, as a dungeon master. Mm-hmm.
2: Because, like, it has always amazed me, because I'm such a nerd, how flexible the plot structure is, because my last example is going to be, like, in Aladdin, right? In an overarching sense, the plot, like, the climax is when Jafar sends Aladdin off to a faraway place, you know, all that rising action happened before it, but even just think about the Cave of Wonders, well, the rising action is Aladdin climbing up to the lamp, and you're watching Abu reach for that gem, like, that's the rising action, and then Abu grabs that gem... In just this, like it's like it's like four seconds. Right, like he grabs that gem. The world's changed. Climax. Right.
1: Is this the new Aladdin or the old Either. Aladdin?
0: Either. Okay. Just yeah. checking. And and then of course, like always, be aware of these things because though they're flexible, they can be broken, and then your game suddenly stalls, and everybody wonders why. Yes. Yep. Right. And so a plateaued rising action. Now is I get it.
2: So boring. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Where things stall, or you make a big change in your game because you're injecting something that's interesting, but it really just breaks all the themes and everybody's like, ah, I feel kind of lost now.
2: Yeah. And then you can also do weird things too, right? Like you can go right from climax directly into another rising action. and You didn't let people catch their breath right. and like settle in their new world. Right.
0: Yeah. And that's actually something that a lot of uh, GM guides will say is like hit them when they're down so that the, the tension stays high and stuff like that. Like that's a uh, John Wick would say that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like if that's what you want, Then know that as soon as they're done with one thing, there's another thing coming.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Just be mindful. There's times to do that. Right.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, cool. Rob, dude. Ah, I love, I love having you on the show doing this. This is like one of my favorite series right now. um, We've done (laughs) like, seriously, it's so much fun getting to talk like in depth theory about gaming. I don't, I don't get to do this anywhere else. So thanks so much for coming on the show. For sure. I'm running out of things to say, but I'll find more. Right. Well, and and again, we're going to we're going to turn this into a practicum at some point, but how do, how do people find you and your show, The Table is Yours? Oh yeah,
2: I do a thing. Yeah. Whew. You can find me at The Table is Yours where I have readers reading the stories for Legend of the Five Rings. If you're into audiobooks, magical samurai, or card games, samurai. Yes. Especially if all of these three separate things somehow come together uh that's- then you can find me at the table is yours for some audiobooks of the official ffg fiction
0: yes yeah and it's it's a it's a really cool project you're doing you have a patreon and all that kind of stuff uh just Dis- oh, yeah, yeah that's a thing we'll we'll link all that stuff we'll link all that stuff for <laughs> you yeah it's all new <laughs> <laughs> it's so new
2: that sometimes i forget to charge yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's
0: awesome awesome well everyone uh, thanks to a ton for tuning in this probably was a longer one again but that's how it goes with us because we love diving deep into these things oh man uh-huh. so good uh-huh. <laughs> god damn it rich oh my god all right everyone at home thanks to a ton for listening as always have fun and play well may all your roles be crits Thanks for listening, this episode was produced by me, David Gillespie, with music provided by Taylor Guillory. Our web presence is managed by Amy Nelson, and if you like our style, please leave a review for us on iTunes, it's the best way to help people find us. Most importantly though, feel welcome to connect with us on Twitter, our Facebook group, Discord server, our Friday night Twitch streams, and our website, all under the name High Shelf Gaming. We really look forward to talking and playing games with you. Well, it's like a don't salt it before you eat it, right? We have that. We have a similar rule, right? Really? Aren't you supposed to like taste it before you decide to salt it?
2: You should, because uh, p- fucking people are addicted to salt. and They fuck up my cooking,
1: dude. All I know is ketchup goes on everything.
0: Fuck, Jesus! All right, podcast over. I, can't do this.
1: <laughs> I know how to trigger people. You know how to trigger people? Get a steak and say. Can I get some ketchup? (gasps)